Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. He is risen. <laughs> Any of you struggling with keeping a smile off your face this morning? I have so much reason to hope, and you know there's so much going wrong in the world, uh, but we Christians, we actually have reason to hope no matter what happens, because we know how the whole thing ends. And I'm looking forward to that. 2,000 years ago, the hope of salvation wasn't realized yet. God's mystery, how he was going to fix the problem that was in the world. Evil, sin, death, brokenness. Nobody knew what God's plan was going to be. They assumed he would send a conqueror. And that conqueror would come and he would set up and establish a kingdom. But there was problems he had to overcome first. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Good Friday, we had a prayer summit here, and, and many of you were there for that. That was amazing. Uh, but we do what we do every year, and that is we kind of walk through the Passion Week or a part of it. And we started on Thursday, and Thursday, this past Thursday, will have been the, when, they, when Jesus wanted to gather with his disciples. But you got to think, too. Put yourself in his shoes. He knows he's about to go to the cross. He knows he's about to suffer horrifically. He also knows he has never done any wrong. And he's eager. It says in Luke, he's eager to share the Passover meal with his friends. And he sits down, you read John 14, 15, 16, and you're going to get a good idea of some of the things that he was talking about there. And he was trying to prepare his friends for his departure, for his death. He also warns his friends that they're going to flee, they're going to fall away, and he encourages them to, to, to stand strong and to pray. And then we find him, you know, Thursday night, that's where the Last Supper comes from the Passover, and they share that last supper together. And we look forward to a time, it says, that Jesus will return, and we will once again sit with him around a table, a very large table, I'm assuming, and we are going to share in the wedding, or the marriage feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb. But before that, so Jesus here on that Thursday, he's sharing that meal, and after he's done, you can imagine what he's feeling knowing what's about to happen on Friday, the very next day. And so he takes a few of his friends a little further into the Garden of Gethsemane across the Kidron Valley. And it's there that Jesus asks his friends, stay awake and pray. You gotta watch with me. You ever been at that spot in your life where you just need others, you need to lean on others for strength. Watch with me. Help me. And Jesus is praying and it says in Luke that as he's praying, God sends an angel to help him, but he's in anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's in such anguish that capillaries in his sweat glands are bursting and it appears as though he's sweating blood, is how the physician Luke records it. And it, it says that he goes back to find his disciples. He kind of gets prostrate before the Lord and he's crying out to his father. He goes back to see his disciples and his disciples who are supposed to, his closest friends, his best friends, think about them that way. His best friends aren't praying, they're sleeping, they're also overwhelmed and tired. Very short time after this, Friday, early Friday morning, one of Jesus' close disciples, not his close inner core in the three, but in the twelve, Judas Iscariot comes and he betrays him. And Jesus is dragged before a kangaroo court of sorts in the sense of it wasn't a real trial. At this trial he was beaten. He was mocked. He was falsely accused. And ultimately, he was condemned to die. An innocent man. 
Friday between 12 and 3 will have been when the, the moment, you know, we were walking through this on Friday, and I hope some of you had a chance to walk through it in the, in the Word throughout this last week. Between 12 and 3 is when he will have been sentenced to die. He will have been stripped naked to be humiliated. He will have been horrifically, horrifically whipped. Which would have been such a bad torture in and of itself, the way it's described in here, that if they had left him just with the whipping alone, he, he would have succumbed to his injuries and died from that alone. And yet he was dragged to Golgotha, he was nailed to a cross, and he was hung there as a spectacle. Isaiah 53 says he was despised. This is written 700 years before it happened, by the way. If you're new to this, maybe you didn't know that. But Isaiah is in the Old Testament, 700 years, and that's, that's, a, that's historical fact. Before Jesus died, look what he says about, it's a prophetic picture looking forward, and it says about Jesus, he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one who from people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Little wonder the Apostle John in John 19.30 records Jesus' final words as, it is finished. On Friday, he says, it is finished. It wasn't finished. <laughs> Part of it was finished. His suffering was finished. He was put in a tomb. A stone was rolled across. His disciples and followers scattered, most of them anyways, except for mostly women. They stayed faithful. They scattered. They didn't know. This was the coming Messiah. This was the promised one. And at this point, we could already say, reading Jesus's, you know, from his own mouth and what eyewitnesses record, we could say that Jesus was a very good man. He was willing to die for others. He was full of love and compassion. But if the story ends there, our hope is buried with him. Story didn't end there. Sunday came around. <laughs> That's why we celebrate Sunday as Christians. Instead of Saturday, the, the believers changed it because on Sunday, something amazing happened that had never happened before. Jesus raised himself back to, to life. He is risen. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Mark 16, 6. Do not be alarmed. Mary's going there to find Jesus. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. <laughs> All right. That's what we're celebrating today. And for some of you, this is, you know, we've celebrated this before. Maybe you came here today and this is your first time. And so I want to, we're going to pause there. You've heard a bit of the story. And I just kind of briefly brought you through the, the end of the Gospels, each one of them, and put them together. But today we're going to look at, you know, why did Jesus have to die? I mean, I remember wondering this during my teenage years. If you're God, like, why go through all that? 
Like, is it just a spectacle, like virtual signaling? Is that what it is, virtual signaling? I mean, you're God. You can just forgive. You can just do whatever you want, right? There was a lot that I didn't understand as a kid. There's a lot that I still don't understand. Anyone else find that the older they get, the more you realize you don't understand anything? <laughs> yeah, all the older ones are starting to raise their hands. Younger ones, yeah, you'll, you'll, it's coming. You'll see. <laughs> Until then, yes, you know more than me. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the skeptic will often say he's God. You know, couldn't he just forgive without the cross? Others have even charged the cross as being some sort of cosmic child abuse. And they take something that is beautiful to us. I mean, we have these beautiful crosses around the sanctuary to honor. But they look at it as, you know, for what it is and what it was. And that is a horrific instrument of torture and death devised by the Romans, devised by wicked people to do wicked things to criminals. That's what it was. And they say, what kind of father would put his son there? So let's take a look at some of the problems that Jesus was, was solving with the cross that couldn't be solved any other way. Problem number one, evil, death, sin, and brokenness. And everything that fits under that category that's coming to your mind right now. Go through the news. If you have your phones, you don't do that now, please. But if you go onto any news app, you are gonna see a whole feed full of examples of evil, death, sin, and brokenness. At the beginning of the, the, the Russia-Ukraine war, when Russia had invaded, and we were all shocked, waking up and hearing about what they had done, just shocked. And I remember, you know, as they started doing some horrific things to those uh, poor people in the Ukraine, I remember hearing um, a, a, a reporter talking to a Ukrainian woman, and she had said, I just can't believe that something like this can still happen in the 21st century. You see, what she betrayed with that, and I'm not, she's not bad for saying it, I think we would be shocked if that happened in Canada too, wouldn't we? But when you say that, it betrays that deep down inside, we think that we've evolved. We think that we're not primitive like people of the past. Those that would kill others, those that would cause evil, devise evil schemes. We've moved past that, we're actually pretty good. And yet, I don't think it takes a lot of eye-opening to look around the world and say, I don't think we've evolved all that much at all, right? I said that now twice, but we haven't moved forward as a people. We just have more knowledge, more self-help, more technology, and better ways of hiding our evil and sin. Corruption, racism, war, poverty, Right? Some will say Marxism, communism. I've heard that even recently from, from the younger generations. We need, you know, that will solve everything. No one's done it right, but we could do it right. Or maybe you're a little older and you realize history says that's been done enough times and it never works out right. We just need a conservative prime minister. <laughs> right? We just need, we, you know, fill in the blank, but... The thing is, history shows again, you, you, you give us the, the king we want, the king we deserve, <laughs> you give us the government we want, the government we deserve, the government we don't want, it doesn't seem to matter. Sin, evil, brokenness, it's permeated so deeply, we cannot escape it. 
And we see history repeat itself again and again. Murder, rape, greed, starvation. Nine million people die every year from hunger and hunger-related diseases. Think about that. That's more than HIV, malaria, and tuberculosis combined. And you say, that's not because they sin. No, but it's because the, the whole creation is broken. Even in Canada, where I think we're so civilized, and we are civilized, but we murder our babies and call it health care. That's not right. We murder our seniors and the sick, and we advocate to do the same to the mentally ill. But we call it helping them die with dignity. Image bearers, created in the image of God, precious to God. We haven't evolved. But there's death, there's sickness, there's loss. I don't know, did, am I the only one that woke up today and felt like every part of the body was creaking? I turned 40 in February, and when I turned 30, my back actually, literally that, that morning, I woke up, and it's never been good since. It's weird how that works. It's like, how did your body know it was 30? <laughs> well, then the most bizarre thing happens on my 40th birthday, and I wondered beforehand, I wonder if the same thing will happen. Sure enough, my shoulder's been bad since I woke up on my 40th birthday, February 27th. If you'll watch me worshiping, I'm often like this. It's because this one doesn't work. <laughs> right? And then I talk to some that are 50 and 60, and they just look and smile, and they say, just wait till you're 60, kid. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. All creation groans and longing. <laughs> but I know, seriously, uh, my sufferings are very little and minor compared to some. What about those that suffer with Parkinson's or MS? What about those who go through cancer or who lose a spouse, or a child, or a parent, or a friend. And in those moments, you know something is wrong. Even, even the unbeliever, I feel like they must know that something's wrong with creation. Something's wrong with this place that we live in. And human beings can't solve that riddle. How about abuse, rejection, humiliation? I've talked to far too many people who have suffered horrific forms of abuse in their childhood years by their parents, some of them believers. And they suffered emotional abuse or sexual abuse or physical abuse. Or they were abandoned by the ones that were supposed to care for them. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've experienced that. And my heart goes out to you for the brokenness that that must feel like on the inside for that whole that emptiness, that you know something is missing and you don't know how to fill it. Then we have mental health and addiction, and we think about everything that comes along with that. We think of things like anxiety. I, don't, I know that's anxiety and depression. Those two specifically are at record highs, and you see people trying to scramble and figure out where it's coming from. And, and, you know, maybe it's because we're too rigid or maybe we just have to affirm everyone in whatever they want to be and whatever they want to do. And if we just affirm everyone, then their mental health goes away. But the more we affirm, the worse we seem to get. And we can't seem to fix people. We don't know what to do. We're lost.
Man is yet to solve any of these problems. That is because evil and sin, evil and sin is not just out there. Evil and sin has infected each one of us. It's inside of us. It's born into us. Romans says that all creation groans as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And it's still groaning. We talked about the garden. In the garden, God had created something and he said, it is good. It is good. But we brought in sin. We brought in the decay. We brought in the evil. We broke that creation. That's problem number one. Genesis 6, 5 said, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Human beings have proven it time and time again, and probably all of us in here can relate, that we are easily corrupted by things like money and power and sex. Easily corrupted. The root of the problem isn't political or environmental or financial. It's sin. And sin has infected us. Problem number two. Justice must be served. <laughs> there's crime and there's punishment. So you have a problem. The problem number one is the evilness, the brokenness, the sin in the world that we all can see human beings cannot fix. It's another problem. Justice must be served. Crime and punishment. Now imagine, I don't know if any of you have ever had your home or stuff stolen from inside your house. We had our garage broken into a number of years ago and two bikes stolen. And uh, I understand also my ears away from the Lord. I did terrible things too. So I kind of feel like I had it coming. But it feels like you've been violated. And that's not even someone who's abused me physically. That would be much worse. But it felt like I had been violated. That's what it felt like. And for the next probably two months, I was like regularly going outside, regularly going and checking doors, regularly checking windows. It bothered me. I didn't even actually, it surprised me how much it bothered me. And if I had known who did it, I would have demanded restitution. In fact, I went and looked for my bikes. I knew what they looked for. I, was, I, I spent way too many hours online looking at any used bike sales place to just find who's going to be this poor soul who took my bikes. You're like, that's carnal. But then part of you says it's not carnal. Like there's something in us. And when you hear of someone who has abused someone or murdered, or we hear of anti-Semitism or these school shootings, and we all cry out and say, justice. Someone needs to do something. I want to see accountability. I want to see change. I want to see punishment. Just look at the last three years. Isn't that what we cried out for? The last thing we want is for people to get away with it. You know, and it's interesting with all of this, we judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. You see, when wrongs are committed against us, we intuitively know somebody must pay, the person who did it must pay. You did the crime, you do the time, right? Isn't that what we say? Yet when it comes to ourselves, we also hold a double standard. We want forgiveness and grace. Because we didn't mean to do that. We were a victim of circumstances. You don't know the home that I came from. It was difficult. Isn't it true that we all sin? 
Do we hurt others, commit sexual sin, lie, cheat, steal, fight? Romans, I'm, uh, I didn't put all of this stuff on, on there, but Romans 1 and Corinthians and Galatians, I took a little list here. How about sexual immorality, pornography, premarital sex, adultery, homosexuality, incest, lust, idolatry, serving things other than the Lord? Maybe it's a career, or maybe it's your family. Maybe you've idolized them. Maybe it's your phone. I don't know what it is. What about greed, murder, rape, abuse, lying, bitterness, boast, boasting, disobedient to parents, foolishness, faithlessness, heartlessness, ruthlessness, hypocr hypocrisy, drunkenness, and more. Scripture is very clear that those who do things, these, these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And here you have these two problems. You have God who loves us, who made us as image bearers, who wants to spend an eternity with us. That has always been his, his intent. To create a people that he could love and that would love him by their own choice in response. But we were the problem. We sinned, and his justice, his holiness, and his righteousness demands that there be a punishment and a consequence that is served for that sin. Now, that question we talked about before, couldn't God just forgive and still be good? You tell me. All those evil things that I listed off before, and I looked at all the sin and brokenness, would God be good if he just forgave those things, if there was no payment for that? Would it be good if God turned a blind eye to abuse and murder and lying and stealing? I don't think any of us would think that. These are the two problems. So now let's enter the solution. Jesus served our sentence and paid our debt. I'm going to expand on this now in just a moment. But I just want you to get this because if you look, you know, sometimes when I, again, going back to my teenage years, and I thought I had, you know, was the first one who ever thought this through, but clearly I'm not. And I thought, you know, out of a thousand religions that all claim to be the way, how do you know yours is the one? Isn't that arrogant? How do you know yours is the one? You know what, when you actually start, do the, do the work. Instead of just having the question and not doing any of the work to figure it out, do the work and look at the different worldviews and the different belief systems of those religions, and you will find... There are two that separate themselves from the 998, figuratively. Judaism and Christianity. There are claims in there that are completely different from any other religion, but only, only our religion shows like the God coming down and taking the punishment of those that he created. In every other one, there is penance. You have to earn you don't know, I think, of Islam where you have no assurance of salvation. You just hope to be good enough. But I want you to picture this. This is Jesus coming down. So remember, part of the problem is we have the sin and brokenness that we can't fix. We can't break the sin. So that sin requires death, which means he created us. We have sinned. We deserve death. But he wants to spend an eternity with us, so he come, he, this was his plan as judge. He's holy. He must judge sin. So now picture you're in this courtroom. You've seen a courtroom before. You've got the judge with the robes and the gavel sitting there behind his, his you know, stand. Then you have the accused sitting down, and all the charges are being read. 
Now picture what it would be like if the judge came down after reading the verdict and saying, guilty, you've done all these things, it's been proven, you've done them. Now he gets down, takes off his robes, comes and stands behind, beside you, takes your punishment, serves your sentence, walks back up to his judge's seat and he puts back his robes and he looks at you and declares you not guilty, innocent. That's an incredible gift. That's an incredible gift. We've sinned against a holy God and the penalty of that sin was eternal separation and death in a prison cell called hell. But Jesus made a way for justice to be served and for us to be made right with God. He died so we wouldn't have to. He paid our debt and took our punishment. Now, why would he do that? <laughs> why would he do that? I think there's probably mystery. I don't know that I would have come up with that plan. I think I usually try to avoid suffering. But I'd say it's one word, love. Love. Because he loves you and he loves me. And he has proven that love. Some say, I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if I, I don't feel his love. He has proven his love by being willing to take your punishment and mine. He's proven it. You know, answer to that accusation, cosmic child abuse, I would say absolutely not. How about brilliant plan executed by an all-powerful, loving God that was willing to take on our punishment and, and to choose to lay his life down for our sake? It wasn't child abuse. John says that my, this is the reason my father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Yes, Isaiah says that it was the father's good plan to crush him and fill him right, with, with guilt, so God the Father ordained Jesus' suffering, but John says here very clearly that the reason the Father loves Jesus, the Trinity, and that Trinity is because Jesus laid down his life that he may take it up again. No one took it from him. He laid it down of his own accord. He chose to do it for the joy set before him, and that's us. John 3, 16 to 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. His desire is that none should perish. He did this for all who would choose to receive the gift. But choice is an incredibly important part of the equation. He wouldn't be loving, and that we couldn't be loving back to him if he forced us to receive his gift. And so he offers you the gift. Picture that judge coming down, taking on your punishment. And he offers it to you, if you will receive it. And you might say, why would anyone turn that down? I'm the wrong one to ask because I didn't turn it down. I think it's the greatest deal in all of history. That's why I have a hard time making it through worship. Every time we start singing about what he did, I just can't believe it because I look at me and I, I know my thoughts and my inner workings and I agree when scripture says every inclination of man's heart is towards evil, I resonate with that. And yet here I am. And he tells me each morning that he loves me and I just cannot believe it. But why wouldn't people take the opportunity given. And I think 
Part of the reason is because we don't like what comes along with the free gift. There is accountability. He becomes our savior and our only Lord. And that is the part of it that is difficult, I believe, for a lot of people. So we have a choice, though, to this gift. And the choice is important. And I think sometimes we make it really big. We make this choice, you know, oh, I got to do all of this stuff first. I got to fix this. Or I don't know, I need all these things figured out. Or I have to have all of my answers. He actually gives each one of us a very simple choice. He pays our penalty, cancels our debt. That's what it says. And then he offers it as a gift. And it's up to us to either say yes or no. We either say yes or no. Jesus offers us life. We talked about all the evil, the answer to the evil and corruption in the world. The brokenness that is in you, that you cannot fix. He offers you life. Healing. By his wounds we are healed. He offers you life. In this life and the one to come. And we get to say yes or no. We either give him a yes and accept what he did or we say no and give up everything that he's promised us. He will not force you to receive the gift. He will not force us to be with him. And he cannot force people to love him. That wouldn't be love. It would be coercion. Or worse, it could even be seen as abusive. Romans 10, 9, though, says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, there's an unknown quote. I don't know who actually said it, but because uh, I'm sure I picked it up somewhere. Salvation is a free gift that'll cost you everything. I don't know where I heard that, but I heard it somewhere, I'm sure. I'm sure I didn't come up with it. But salvation is a free gift that'll cost you everything. And that's because we often look at it like it's a one-time event, like, and that's it. Now you're saved and you just go on living your own life. People talk about fire insurance. You ever heard that? Oh, you got fire insurance. You just say a little prayer, you believe in Jesus, and now you got fire insurance. And if you're wrong, you lived a good life and you're good. And if you're right, then you go to heaven. It's a little more complicated than that. You receive forgiveness of your sins as a free gift. You cannot earn that forgiveness. No one can. We're too sinful, too broken. That's the yes for him being your savior. But he also is Lord. And that's why it costs everything, because he calls each one of us to then lay down our lives, pick up our cross, and follow him. We follow him not only in his life, but we follow him in death. And it is through death, it says, when a kernel falls into the ground and dies, then it truly lives. And there's something beautiful in the kingdom about death. When we die, then we live. You want to go up and reign with him? Then you got to die with him first. Not literally, I'm not promoting that, but figuratively, and for some around the world, it is literal. Matthew 10, 38 says this, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life in this life, uh, and whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. This is what a yes looks like. I don't know, for, for those who call self and home, uh, in, in September we talked about giving our yes to Jesus. Yes, Lord, I will. Blank check, yes. Yes, Lord, I will. That is the simplicity and the beauty, and, and that's it. That is what 
That's what following him looks like. That's how we start the journey. We say yes to the gift. That's how we continue the journey. We say yes to surrendering to him. That's what it means to deny yourself. It's not that you can't do anything enjoyable in your life. It's not that. It's saying, I was sitting on the throne of my life. And when I lived, I will stand before Jesus one day and pay account and give account for all the wrong that I've done. But in choosing to receive that gift from him, I'm laying myself down. I'm putting myself on that cross and I clothe myself with the righteousness of God so that when I stand before him, he sees Christ's righteousness and I am forgiven of my sins. But there is a cost. He wants the throne of our hearts. And that is why me and my wife, me and Lou here, have always said, uh, not always, but for the last number of years anyhow, since COVID started, whatever is his way is our way. That's the nature of the yes. Whatever is his way is our way. We had our lives, we were going to destruction. We traded that for his life. Now, some of you have never experienced this, and today you can make that choice. You can do what Romans 10 says. You can confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, and you will be saved. That's the beginning of the journey. You will receive a gift that you could never earn. You're given that first yes, and that's when the adventure begins. And it is an adventure. A costly one, but it's a costly one whether you follow him or not, isn't it? There's a far greater cost than not following him than following him. But there's others in here who have said yes, but the busyness of life, maybe it's stress. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's just paralyzing anxiety and you just feel trapped. Maybe it's abuse you suffered when you were younger and you just don't know how to get over it. You resonate with Jesus' words in Matthew 26, 41, when he's talking to his disciples. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You give him the yes, but then you fall back. You're paralyzed and you stay stuck. So what happens to those that have already said yes, but feel like they've been sidelined by their circumstances? What do we do then? I'm going to play a video testimony that's going to give a good example of this now. Went to school for business, came out, became a manager, and uh, that was busy. And then we started a business at the same time. Evenings, weekends, I'm helping Melinda. I did some installs, furniture, stuff like that. And that got busy on top of life and on top of managing, on top of all these other things. So I started using alcohol to, I guess, numb numb everything that's happening. I think the biggest reason I was drinking is because of the negative self-talk. So my depression walked hand in hand with my drinking. Uh, as a Christian, it's interesting when you get stuck in an addiction after you've been saved for 15 plus years. I'm already hearing from God. I'm already speaking to God. He's telling me, you know, I love you, son. Hang in there. He's telling me all these good things. I'm not telling myself these good things, but he's telling me these good things. The addiction had drowned out his voice in a lot of ways. And it was funny because the year I quit drinking, January, I typically fasted from drinking, but then this was the January I couldn't stop. And then I remember Melinda looked at me and said, your drinking's gotten way out of hand. It's Thursday, July 1st, 2021, and I've been drinking already, and I'm feeling this negative self-talk come on. Reach out to Stefan. He says, maybe it's time to put the bottle down. I said, okay, pray for me. I'm quitting drinking tomorrow, and it's July long weekend. First day, Lord, I'm giving everything to you, and I'm putting all my effort in, and I'm asking for you to help me on the rest, because I don't think I can do this by myself. 
And then Friday, I didn't touch it. And I was like, whoa, Friday on a long weekend, I didn't touch this? Like, <laughs> that's crazy. Then Saturday, I didn't touch it. And then Sunday, I didn't touch it. And I'm like, this is possible. By then, I was already playing worship music and playing in the evenings because I didn't know what to do other than drink. So instead of cracking open a beer, I was like, ah, what do I do with my hands? Let's grab the guitar. My mouth is busy and I'm praising God. It actually changed everything. It stopped all my negative self-talk and it changed from me thinking about myself negatively in the evenings to praising God. And Melinda's like, I think you should pull up the guitar and play some songs next time we have a bunch of people over. So I picked up the guitar when we had a couple of close friends over and I'm just like, hey, you guys want to worship? They're like, yeah, sure, let's do it. So it completely changed the way we got together with our friends. It was actually through these worship nights that my oldest daughter became a Christian. The interesting thing is, even as I walked further and further into this addiction, he's never stopped being faithful to me. He's never stopped loving me. I've got 10,000 words of him speaking to me in my journal in the midst of the deepest alcoholic episode I've ever had. And he's continued to be faithful, even though I'm unfaithful. At any moment in your depression, in your alcohol, in whatever you're struggling with, you can say yes to God. You can say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna quit with all my might. And you know what, you might fail, but he's faithful. I did try quitting drinking a couple times along this path and I failed. And then the one time he gave me the strength to do it, but he also showed me a path. I hope that there's others in the church that have maybe been teetering to give that blank check like we've been asked. But I pray and hope that they date it, they sign it, they give their blank check, and they try God at 100%. Just see what happens, see what he leads you in, see where he calls you, see where he, or what addictions maybe you need to quit, or habits, or self-talk, and watch him be faithful in your life. Hector, it's brave to put yourself out there. What an incredible story, you know, when we look at the cross, when we look at the death of Jesus, the passion of the Christ, we look at what he suffered for you and for me. Sometimes as believers, it's, it's easy to get into this thinking that, you know, oh yeah, the cross, we focus on that once a year and it's good and oh, I hope that there's an unbeliever that walks into here that hears this message because it's for them. The cross demands something of each one of us every day. And he's worthy of anything and everything that we give to him. So we're gonna do a little exercise. There's paper, you'll see in the back, seat backs or on your, they were on your seats. Grab a pencil or a pen. And we're gonna respond Jesus. There's three questions I'm going to have you look at. That we're going to look at together. I'm going to do it too. And if you're here for the first time, or maybe you've been coming here for a while, but you feel like you're still teetering, you haven't made that decision to say yes to the free gift of salvation. Today you have a choice. You don't have to put it off any longer. That's what I did. 
I did that for so many years, and I know there'll be others in here that resonate with that story, where you're thinking, I've got to get my affairs in order, I've got to live my life, I've got to do this and that before I'm ready to say yes. You don't know how many breaths you have left in your lungs. Don't waste the moment. Choose this day whom you will serve. And I hope you chose, like many of us in here, and I hope you choose to surrender your life to Jesus and to receive that gift of forgiveness of your sins and to let him in. But for the believers here, now I want to ask you a question and you can write down your answer, one word. When you look at the cross and the death, when you look at the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, how will you respond today? Salvation is a free gift that'll cost you everything. Will you say yes or no? There's only two options. He made it simple. Write down your answer and then reflect on that third one. Who's sitting on the throne of your heart? Maybe you related to Hector's story and maybe it's different. Maybe it's not alcohol, maybe it's something else, but you related to the busyness, the stress, the good intentions like the disciples. The good intentions and suddenly, buh, you're stuck. Lord, I ask that you would reveal to each one of us anything that we're holding on to. Good things, bad things. Maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's stress, maybe it's a sin issue, maybe it's resentment. Lord, we're hurting on the inside and we don't know how to let go. Whatever that is, if you're gonna say yes to Jesus, I want you to write down what it is that you're gonna just give to him. sin we're going to do something a little different than we normally do. But I'm going to invite you, you'll see there's crosses around the room. 
sometimes there's power in taking a physical step with our declaration. But if you've just given Jesus your yes, you've given him a piece of your heart, your life, I'm gonna invite you to come and lay down your piece of paper at the cross and leave it there. We'll leave it a couple minutes. Whoever wants to, you can come and do it. Who could imagine? 
of yes is given here and some that are still struggling to give that yes and that's okay. You actually said in your word that, that the wise man counts the cost and that's okay. But Lord, I ask that, that you would work inside each one of our hearts and do what only you can do. That you would draw us into your presence. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm almost done. One last point, and then <laughs> we can go and celebrate the rest of the day. How do we respond to that yes? I think sometimes I wanted, to, I wanted to end this off by giving you a few practical steps. Because I think sometimes we get you know, paralyzed by the yes, and we look at everything in my life that I have to fix. I've got to do this and that, I've got to turn the whole thing around, and I want to encourage you today and say, stop and take a breath. Be still and know that he is God. A yes looks like one step in front of the other. We keep in step with God's spirit. We learn to walk with him day by day by day. That is what a yes looks like. And like Hector's testimony highlighted, even when you fall, even when you down, not if, when you fall, when you get down, <laughs> you do the same thing that you did that got you to follow Jesus in the first place. You get back up, you confess your sins, and you give God your yes again. It's that simple. 
You keep saying yes. And it's not that you're getting saved all over. I love how his testimony highlighted that even when he was being faithless, like Paul said in Timothy, God remained faithful. (laughs) Amen? And we have a lot of hope in that. But uh, I think sometimes one of our biggest problems, and I see it today, and I'm sure it's been a problem throughout human history, is we like to isolate. We get stuck. We like to hide. We like to keep stuff inside. And we don't like to ask for help. And I think our Mennonite culture doesn't help us in that area at all. Because I don't want to admit that I have weakness and I don't want to admit that I need you. All I need is Jesus. Doesn't that sound right? But yet that's not what Jesus modeled, neither Paul. And so we'll take a look here. Whoa, I don't have those verses up. No, there we go. Here we go. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 11. I would encourage you to read the whole thing, The God of All Comfort. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But I want to highlight something at the end because this is the passage where Paul said he was so overwhelmed to the point where he despaired of life itself. But then look what he says at the end. You also must help us by prayer. Paul understood something. And earlier he said that when I'm comforted, it's for your benefits so that I can go and turn and comfort you. So you see, Paul had this understanding that it wasn't just him and Jesus. It was him and Jesus and the body of Christ. We were together. But Paul didn't come up with that idea on his own. Jesus modeled that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had his 12, and then he was going away. He was super overwhelmed. What did he do? He took his three closest friends. Even Jesus didn't isolate now, his friends failed. <laughs> they totally did, right? Stay awake and pray. They didn't, they, they didn't quite make it that far. But, but you can see the modeling. And a, and a disciple is not above the teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, it says in Luke, will be like his teacher. And so even Jesus modeled, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. We need the prayer. We need to pray on our own. But we also need the prayer of others. And so with that, I'm going to give you a few steps. And you can write these down or you can just take a picture These are four steps that you can do. And maybe you're far enough in your faith, you already know what step you need to do. That's great. (laughs) Then do that step. This isn't the exhaustive list. This is the starter list. The starter gets you on the stock list. Okay, that's what this is. Attend the set free. That's next next weekend. You're dealing with, maybe you put a big yes down at the cross today. Attend the set free. It's this next weekend. Just sign up online. Just go. What do you have to lose? If you're here and you haven't followed Jesus, you've said yes to him, but you haven't followed him in the step of baptism yet. Believe and be baptized. Take that first step. That's one of the first things he asks you to do as a follower of Christ. You can get baptized. We'll baptize you. You can sign up online. When you go to the webpage, you'll see a discipleship tab. Click on that. You'll find baptism on there and go sign up. We'd love to baptize you this 30th. Chris is doing the baptisms. I always dream of getting so many baptisms that it interferes with the message that he tries to preach. To me, I find that would be funny. To him, you'd find it difficult. (laughs) Get connected with other believers for encouragement and accountability. Don't do it on your own. And lastly, receive prayer today after the service. In fact, normally we have after-service prayer in the prayer room, and today they they agreed, they were kind enough to, to agree to come in here And maybe you laid something down at the cross. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe you're still holding on to it. But I would encourage you, if it was something big or whatever it was, come and receive prayer. Let someone pray for you right before you leave. Receive that prayer now and have that work of God already begin to work in your life.
so you can walk with that commitment. Lord Jesus, thank you for suffering our punishment. Thank you for doing it while we were still sinners. You did what we could never do. Thank you for coming back to life and raising yourself from the dead. That's so incredible. <laughs> You're so amazing. Lord, we know you've sent us your Holy Spirit. We know that just as you died and rose again, and that is fact, we also know that you promised to come again and you will come back. And when you come back, you will judge the living and the dead. And Lord, we want to stand before you in confidence on that day. So would you hold us tightly and walk us on that journey? And may all the glory and honor go back to you, the only one who is worthy. We declare this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, he is risen. Maranatha. God bless you and have a wonderful rest of your day.